For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that he may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we we come to, to your word and we ask that you would be with us, that you would guide us, lead us to truth. Lord, I pray that as we continue to talk about belief, as we continue to talk about uh, placing our, our faith, and specifically those who, who do not believe, Lord, I pray that you would work in our heart. Lord, I pray that you would that you would work. If there is somebody that is that is here, that is not uh, that is listening that has never placed their, their faith and, and trust in you, Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, we, we pray that, that we as, as those who, who know you, that we would be burdened for the lost, that we would be eager and desire to get into to conversations that point others to a, a saving relationship with you. Because we know that but those who do not believe stand condemned already. Lord, we pray that you would do these things and do more than we can ask or imagine with your word. And we pray these things for the glory of Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. You may be seated. So there's that little code the QR code in your in your bulletin. Uh, we've been having some some issues with that, um, but if you scan it today, it should it should work. It should send you. I've, I've does it not if it does. Okay, good. Um, so I, I don't know what happened last week. I tested it um, anyway. I had to go to technical support, and but I think I think we got it figured out. Um, not exactly sure what the problem was, but so. Our focus for the past few weeks has been really on John 3.16. We added verse 17 in there last week. We talked about the, the great love of God, the great gift of God, what it is to, to believe in, in Christ. That's been our, our focus in, in John 3.16 and then 17, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal Life, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You get there, you get past that, 
And the next question then that comes into your mind is, what about those who do not believe? If you believe, you have eternal life, you will not perish. Verses 18 through 21 really answers that question. And the answer is really simple. That those who have not believed stand under the condemnation of God. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only Son. This is one of those teachings that in the Bible that, that some, maybe most, don't like. In, in fact, it's this idea that, that sin has consequences, and one of those consequences is the judgment of God on sinners. In the classic book, Crime and Punishment, the character uh, Rasklonikov, he is poor and he needs money, so he kills a, a pawnbroker who is a person who he doesn't believe is life is worth anything. The result though, for the character is not the prosperous life that he dreamed about, but it's the outworking of judgment in his life for this murder. Simply, punishment follows the crime, and the point of the novel is that the young man stood condemned from the point that he killed the pawnbroker on. Many of us understand that. That makes, that makes sense. That the plot is, is justice. But what is more serious and what people, I think, have trouble with is that these same principles apply to us spiritually as well. Some people think that when the gospel is, is proclaimed, when the gospel is preached, that a, that a person is, is standing on what we might call neutral ground. In other words, that the person can either, in that moment, when they hear the, the gospel, they can choose his own way with a judgment that will follow from God, or they can go the other way, God's way, in which is accompanied by great joy and great blessing. But according to Scripture, it isn't in that moment that we hear the gospel that we make a choice. According to Scripture, we have already chosen. Isaiah says it this way in 53.6, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Romans 3, we read it this way. There is no one who is righteous. Not even one. There is no one that understands. No one that seeks after God. We might not like the truth, but it doesn't change the truth. So whether we, we care for it or not, it's true. We've already committed the crime and therefore we stand under the judgment of God. So those that do not believe are already under the wrath of God. It is clear. The choice has been made and it's continuing to be made. And now we, we get this, that 
We are under the condemnation of God. But there's another question that arises, and that is the question of, of for what reason are we condemned? Okay, so we we stand underneath the, the judgment of God. But for what reasons is a person condemned? I, I listened to, to part of a debate the other day. It was, a, it was a Christian debating an atheist on the subject of salvation. It was a little uh, weird that a, a Christian was debating an atheist on this, one that does not believe in, in God. And they were debating on a, a tenet of Christian doctrine, namely, if there was a God, uh, and how the Bible says that we are saved. In any case, with all the strange things there, there were some interesting moments in the debate. The atheist really dug his heels in on, on one point, and that is, is if he were to be saved, that God would have to do something first. And I was impressed that the atheist understood this, that the non-Christian was in such a, a hopeless estate that their hope could only be found in God, his grace and favor to a person that doesn't deserve it. But that isn't where he went with this. He flipped it around and said, if I go to hell, if I don't go to heaven, it is because God didn't choose to do something for me. In other words, he was saying, if I go to hell, it's God's fault. Now I can see how one that doesn't believe in God, that is exposed to a a rudimentary level of orthodox Christian doctrine on this matter, might see it that way. But what the person failed to understand is that this isn't the picture that the Bible paints. Yes, the Bible says that we're in our state, we are condemned because we haven't believed in Jesus. Because those who, who believe will not perish and have eternal life. We know that whoever believes only believes because God has given them new life. We've seen this truth clearly in Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. Everything the Christian in the debate tried to say, the atheist would always turn it back around and say, well, isn't it true? Isn't it true, he would say, that I'm going to hell because God did not do something. What he was pointing to was the unfairness of God's grace. He believed that he deserved God's favor. But what was wrong with his thinking, though, and what he failed to understand is why he stood condemned in the first place. So let's think about that question a little bit from these verses. The first answer that we're given here as to why people are condemned is that they have not believed in the name of God's only son. Verse 18, that the name, God's only son, the name that is being referenced here is a name that you all know. It's the name of Jesus. It means Yahweh saves. It was the the name that was given by the angel to Joseph before the birth of Jesus. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus is the the first two letters are the the name of of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh. And the rest of the letters of the word are from the word uh, save or salvation. So it it makes sense when John says that, that people are condemned because they have not believed in the name of Jesus. He's saying that they are condemned because they do not have Jesus as their savior. Now, I think in that 
debate, the atheists couldn't grasp this. That, that he was not and would not be saved until he accepted the fact that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost, and he was one of those that needed to be saved from his sins. His issue was that God wasn't fair, that God would send him to hell. But he needed to recognize that he needed a savior. And he needed to recognize that Jesus was that savior. I know many of you have, have seen illustrations of this in your own lives. You, you know somebody that you visited with about Jesus. You've talked to them about the gospel and they were receptive to you in a lot of ways. They believed a lot of what you had to say. But when it came to admitting that they needed Jesus as a savior, that they were totally helpless and doomed to a, a devil's hell without him, they would not and could not admit it. There's another reason why people are condemned who have not believed in Jesus. Look at verse 19. Here we read, that the light has come into the world, but men love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. If we, if we take the, the first point here, that people are condemned because they haven't accepted Jesus as their Savior, that could be because they failed to understand. And in fact, I would say that the guy in this debate that I was talking about, he didn't understand. He had it explained to him, but he was incapable of grasping this truth. But another reason that we stand condemned is that we actually prefer sin. The light has come into the world, but we turn from it. We turn from the light because we love what is evil. I think there's a, an illustration here of the religious elite in Jesus' day, that the rulers, the, the Jewish people, the rulers of the Jewish people were high achievers by all standards when it came to the, the law and, and pious living. That was until Jesus entered the picture. Jesus was much better than they were. And next to other people, the, the leaders looked really good, but next to, next to Jesus, they were lacking. And as a result, the religious leaders hated Jesus. And they actually went so far as to have him killed. If he would have lived, he would have continued to expose their corruption and their hearts would have been shown for how dark they really are. So, they wanted to turn out the light. They wanted to keep Jesus from exposing them because they loved the darkness. And of course, that didn't work. Now, we need to understand that the, that the condemnation here isn't only in that we fall short of what God commands. The, the condemnation that is referred to here in, in verse 19 is that we're actually aiming in the wrong direction. It's not just that we throw an arrow or, or shoot a dart at the, the dartboard and it, and it falls short, but it's actually going in the wrong direction. Think of a, a child and a, and a dad playing catch. The father is teaching a, a son to throw a baseball. And the dad steps back and tosses the ball to the child. And the child gets it. And the child goes to throw it back to his dad. And it goes way off to the right. 
The dad runs over and gets it, but he says to the son, okay, son, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep running all the way over there to get the ball. You need to throw the ball to me. So the kid tries again, and this time the ball goes way to the left. And the child says, dad, you need to move closer. That's the problem. You need to move closer. So the dad takes a few steps closer, and the child throws the ball again. This time it goes way right, forcing the dad to go and retrieve it again. Again, the child says, dad, you're too far. And the dad moves closer and closer until he's right in front of the child. This time the child turns and throws the ball in the complete opposite direction. So the problem was not just distance. That was part of it. But the problem was the child's aim. This is how it is with sinners. You know, there's a, there's a great distance between our level of righteousness and God's level of righteousness. It's not even in the, the same ballpark. Yes, our behavior doesn't match God's behavior, but the trouble is that we don't even go in the right direction when we're trying to hit those standards. We stand condemned before God, not only because we miss the mark, but because when the, the light, when there's a light shined on our miss, it comes out that we actually love the darkness. Our aim is toward what we love and we want the dark to conceal how we've missed it, how we're throwing in the wrong direction. We haven't believed in the name of Jesus. We haven't known that we need him to be our, our savior. Stand condemned. We actually love the darkness over the light. A third reason that John lists here for God's condemnation of the, the human race is that human beings actually hate the light. We've, we've already said this, but the emphasis has been on loving the, the darkness or throwing the ball in the wrong direction. But notice here that the people hate the light. This is verse 20. Everybody who does wicked things hates the light. They hate the fact that their evil deeds are exposed. Much of the, the persecution that existed in history has to do with the fact that the people hate the light. They, they hate it when Christians say what is wrong and specifically what one is, is doing is wrong and, and what one is doing, the sin that one is complicit in is going to send you to hell. When, when Christians point out these facts that, that people stand condemned by God because they love their sin, the result is often persecution. Just think about 1 Corinthians 6 for a moment. In that text, starting in verse 9, we read that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then he lists who the unrighteous are. The sexually immoral, idolaters, idolaters, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, all of these will not inherit the kingdom of God. And over the centuries, Christians have seen others. They've seen uh, leaders who were greedy, let's say, and they, they point out this, this fact that your, your greed is going to damn you. You stand condemned before God because of your sin. 
You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Your only hope is in Jesus Christ. But people hate the light. They say, how dare you expose this greed? They say these things and they lash out. Some sins are culturally acceptable. Of course, no one likes a thief or a swindler. But the sexually immoral, those who practice cohabitation, for instance, or homosexuality, you know, to speak against these things, not just in general, but in specific instances, are very difficult these days. To get in a conversation with one that is guilty of these sins and point out that you stand condemned because you don't believe, that you don't believe Jesus is your Savior, and you miss the mark when it comes to his standard. In fact, you're not even playing in the same ballpark when it comes to God's goodness. Because of these things, you stand before God, but there's another reason that you stand condemned. And that is that you love your sin. You love the, the sin of, of greed, of, of fornication, of homosexuality, or, or whatever it is. And Jesus is asking you to embrace him. To embrace the, the forgiveness that, that he can give. He can make you right with God. He can remove your sin as far as the east is from the rest. The east is from the west. Just embrace Jesus as your Savior. Forsake your sin. Most often today, the response is, what sin? There's no sin here. And I don't need a Savior. And we hear the, the laundry list of, of reasons why they justify their behavior. In recent days, we've seen numerous books written to justify sin. I don't need to be redeemed of this. I don't need a, a savior for that. And the reason is because we love our sin. We love the darkness and we hate the light. The light exposes sin and people don't like that. There's one more point here that I want to mention, and that is, first, first of all, clearly then, whoever does not believe stands condemned already. We've talked about why we are condemned, but the greatness of the gospel is that although you and I are all born under the, the judgment of God, just because somebody is, is condemned in, in, in that state, no matter what sins they're guilty of or they're involved in, the greatness of the gospel is that there is not a need to remain there. This is the point of the Christian bringing up to the unbeliever specific sins because they need to know. You stand condemned before God. But that is not and should not be the end of the conversation, or at least, right, it shouldn't be, but sometimes and often it is. This is the problem with those people from that one church that have these signs that hold them up on street corners and at funerals and at all sorts of things that say, God hates and then fill in the blank. Yes, God hates sin. People stand condemned for their sin. That is true for all of us. We are all born under the judgment of God, but the truth of the matter is that for the one who believes, there is no condemnation. That's the point the Christian should be getting at. That's the greatness of John 3.16. Whoever believes in him will not perish 
Whoever believes does not stand condemned before him. Jesus took that on your account. That judgment that you were under, Christ bore it. And for the one that recognizes that their sin has condemned them, the correct response is to believe in Jesus as your Savior, to turn to him and and trust him, to place your your faith in him, to recognize that he bore the, the weight of God's wrath for you. But that condemnation that you were under, that you deserved, he was born on the cross for you. Now somebody might say at this point, well, you've given me something to think about. Actually, one Sunday before the the lake services, there was a couple that were fishing there and and we went and visited with them. And after we got set up mostly and to invite them to to the service. And as we were visiting with them, they were asking me about what we believed in our church about salvation, about how a person went to heaven. And, and I got a chance to, to tell them. And we were really just getting to the gospel. And one of the, one of the dogs ran away there. And the guy ran to, to get the dog. And I knew I needed to, to keep talking to the, the woman that was there. So I, I did. And the interesting thing was that she seemed very moved when we talked about sin that had separated us from God, how we stand condemned, and the only remedy was to Jesus, to believe in him. And her response was, you've given me something to think about. Thanks. And I, and I don't know, did she ever think about it again? Sometime later, I, I read Charles Spurgeon, and he said something like this. You're going to think yourself right into hell if you continue to think about it. Sometimes someone will say, that was good. We need to, need to pray about that. Actually, that's something you don't need to pray about. If you're not a believer, then the Bible calls on you. It's commanded to believe and repent of your sin. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Will you believe today? Don't think about it. During the early days of of D.L. Moody's ministry, he had some meetings in Chicago, and the crowds were supposed to be extremely large. In fact, the prospect would be that, that he was going to preach to the largest crowds that he had ever preached to up to that point. In the first night, he was preaching about the life of Jesus. And he talked about the, the trial of Jesus before Pilate. And he came to the end of, in Matthew 27, verse 22, where Pilate says this. Pilate says, then what shall we do with Jesus, who is called the Christ? And Moody then challenged the people to take that text home with them, to think about it all week. And then the next week, they would need to come back and decide what they were going to do with Jesus. Moody reflected on that years later, and said that that was one of the biggest mistakes of his life, to end the service that way. And the reason was this. It was immediately after that service that they heard news of a great fire starting. It was the the great Chicago fire, and the, the hall that Moody was preaching in was burnt to ashes. Over a thousand persons died, and, and Moody never saw that same group of people again. 
And he figured that some of them that were there that night had died in the fire. He told them to mull those words over until the next week, and the next week never came. They never met in that place. The point and what Moody recognized, the gospel isn't for another time. It's not for a more convenient moment because tomorrow may never come. The fact of the matter is, today you stand condemned before God. And if you do not believe today, there may not be rescue. It's really a a no-brainer because whoever believes in him is not condemned. Romans 8.1 There is no... That's not what it says. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just think about that for a moment. There is now no condemnation. Why does he say now? Because now there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus, for those who have not believed. John 3.18. Ask yourself, where am I at? Do I stand condemned before an all-holy God right now? Or do I believe? Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off because you don't know what's going to hold. The Bible is clear. The gospel is not for a convenient time. The gospel is for today. You may never hear, you may never get a chance to hear the gospel again. And if you're sitting there and you're convicted, you're saying, man, this is, this is something I should do, but you're tempted to wait. That level of conviction may never come. Here's the other thing. Those that believe, those that have placed their faith and trust in, in Jesus Christ, We're sitting there and we're thinking about these passages. But think about all of the people that we know that are standing under the condemnation of God. It's not that they will be condemned. They are. That changes things. There is now condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. If you have not believed in the name of Jesus Christ, You stand condemned already. And we don't know how much time they have. We don't know who who else is going to come and tell them. What part are we supposed to play in the lives of those people that we know? Something to think about. As we think about that verse, there is... I'm thinking of Romans 8.1. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you're not condemned. Think about the reason why you are not condemned. 
talking to, to believers, right? If you, if you believe, why is it that you do not stand condemned before God? Because we're sinners. We have sinners. We're, we're going we're gonna to talk about the, the Lord's Supper here right now, right? We're, we're moving into the Lord's table. And if I asked you this question, I asked you to slip up your hands. Who in here is worthy to come to the Lord's table? How many of you could raise your hand? In and of myself, I'm worthy to do this. We can't. Because we, we recognize that, that in Christ Jesus, there may not be condemnation, but there's still sin. Right? We're, we're saint and sinner at the, same, at the same time. Why is there no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? The answer is simple. Because Christ bore it for you. Christ took the, the punishment, the, the guilt, all, all of that came in and rested on Christ as he was dying on the cross. That he paid that price that you deserve to pay. And then he took and he clothed you in his perfect righteousness. The, the Reformation, they called it the, the great exchange. Our sin was put on him, was imputed to him. His righteousness was then given to us. What a beautiful picture, right? Of the, the righteousness, the, the perfect right robe that Christ put on us so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He doesn't see those things. For the believer, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. That's why we come to the table. It gives us an opportunity to take and, and reflect on our own lives, in our own relationship, in light of what Christ has done for us. Right? We don't just say, we're going to do this thing, go and live better. Right? That's, that's not what the Lord's table is about. The Lord's table is, let me take a look at my own life in light of what Christ has done for me. What sins do I have in my own life that Christ bore on the cross? In what ways am I not living up to what Christ has done for me? Are there things in my life right now that I need to deal with, that I need to repent of? I would say the answer is yes. Right? We all, if we're honest, there's, there's things going on. They don't make us unworthy to come to the table. What makes us unworthy is if we're unwilling to deal with the sin in our life. If we're unwilling to say, Christ dealt with this. Christ put it away. As far as the east is from the west, as far as Christ is concerned. And if we say, if as far as Christ is concerned, as far as the east is from the west, it's dropped in the bottom ocean, but I'm going to hold it dear. I'm going to continue to love it. And then you shouldn't take it. But if you're going to say, Christ dealt with this sin. He put it away. Therefore, I'm going to put it away. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to turn from it. I'm going to repent. I'm going to embrace Jesus Christ.
very clear, I think, from what I just said, that what the Lord's Supper then is, is for believers. It's for those who have placed their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ. I would, I would say um, children um, need to, to talk to their parents about when they're, when they're ready to, to take the Lord's Supper. For a child, you think you're, you're a believer and you're, you think you're ready to do that, uh, you need to have that conversation with your parents. And, and parents, you need to be involved in uh, the life of your family there. But um, if you're visiting with us, you're a believer, you're welcome to, you're welcome to participate with us. I'm going to pray, and then, um, and then we're going to we're going to do this together. But I, I forgot my cup down there, and some of you may have not picked one up as you have come in. So if you would just take this moment, and if you if you didn't get a if you didn't get communion elements. Um, just slip up your hand, and there's some some guys who are more than willing to to come to you and We have these these pre-filled cups. So we recognize that the night that that Jesus was betrayed, he he took the bread, right? And he broke it. And there's a clear cellophane thing on the top. You just kind of remove the top portion there. You get the little the little bread here. Just give you a second. Jesus took the, the bread. This is this is my body that was that was broken for you. Isn't that isn't that something that Jesus is, is pointing to before his death? What his, what his death did, it, it, it took our place. And when Jesus says then, do this in remembrance of me, that we would take and we would contemplate, that we would remember what he has done for us, why there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because he bore it. And that should have a, a direct impact on how we then live. Let's take it together. Then Jesus took the cup. There's another piece. Don't squeeze it too hard. Don't. Boy, am I got. 
I got one that's really glued. So don't tip it or squeeze it. Okay, now it's open. Jesus said, this is, this, is the, this is my cup. This is the covenant, the new covenant, right? The old covenant was do this and live. Keep the, keep the, the law. Jesus, in Jesus, we recognize that we can't. We can't in and of ourselves keep the law that Jesus did that for us. So we place our trust not in keeping the law. We place our trust in the work of Jesus on our behalf, that he did what we couldn't do. And as you drink this, think about that. Jesus did what we couldn't do. He kept the law perfectly for us. His righteousness has become ours. Let's take it together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you this morning that we can come to, together in this room, that we can reflect on, on the greatness of the gospel. The, the greatness of the gospel is that we were once uh, people that, that stood under the, the judgment of, of, of God, that before you, we deserved nothing but condemnation. And because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, there is no condemnation. We don't have to remain in that state. Lord, we reflect on this this morning, and I pray that you would take and, and use this to just shape who we are as, as a people of God. That we would be people who, who long to, to live a life that pleases you, not to, to earn your favor, but because we're so grateful for what you've done for us. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.